Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. When is the last time you heard a sermon about singleness? Married people, of course, have lots of sermons, classes, books, and conferences dedicated to them, but singles are largely ignored in Christianity today, wouldn't you say? Today, Matthew Elton, himself a single millennial, shares what Jesus and Paul have to teach us about the incredible advantages of singleness for God's people. Far from second-class citizens, singles have much to offer the body of Christ. Here now is episode 409, Serving God as a Single Person, with Matthew Elton. I am honored to share about serving God as a single person. So we're, we're focusing on serving God in different seasons of life. Life is literally made of seasons. And in every season, we are called to serve God, whether you're single, whether you're married. And this message today is not just for single people. It's actually relevant to the whole church, and we'll see why in a moment. Why is it important to focus on serving God as a single person? For one thing, it's a topic that is rarely talked about in the church. But it's, it's a very relevant topic because singleness is common and it's only becoming more common. In fact, it's one of the biggest demographic changes happening in our country right now. There are more single adults now, for the first time ever, there are more single adults in the United States than married adults. And there are more single adults than any time in history. And it's not just because people are, are not marrying as much, although that is a trend but also people are marrying later in life. And this, this graph here shows estimated median age of first marriage. And you see that from the 50s uh, until now, it's just steadily gone up. So people are marrying, it's just a trend that has been happening for decades, that people are marrying later in life. And if you see on this map here, New York State has the highest average age of marriage in, of any state in the country. The average here is a little over 30 years old when people are getting married on average. Now, obviously, in the church, Christians tend to marry a little bit younger than non-believers, but these are trends that are happening both in the secular world and in the church. There's a lot of reasons for it. I'm not going to get into all of them. Obviously, there have been a lot of cultural changes, a lot of technological changes between the decades, also economic changes. You know, my, my generation, the millennials, we were, we were hit by the Great Recession. So right when we were graduating college, we were hit by the Great Recession. So a lot of us struggled to find jobs. We had to work a lot of different jobs, often just working a job for one year here, one year, one year there, whereas previous generations tended to work jobs for long periods of time. Also, we've had to move around a lot more for economic security. And a lot of people in my generation didn't feel economically like they, they could support a marriage. Or they were moving around so much, it was hard to develop long-term relationships. So those are some of the economic realities. There's a lot of other reasons that these trends are happening. I'm not going to get into all of them. But the point is that as a church, we need to realize that uh, singleness is a reality. There's, a, a, there's more single people now than there were previously in previous decades. And it's my personal opinion that divorce has also un unfortunately contributed to singleness, not only because divorced people are not married, but also if they have kids, the trends show that their kids are less likely to get married if their parents were divorced. I was privileged and, and lucky and blessed by God that 
Uh, my parents have been faithfully married for many years and given me an incredible example. And they've really given me an, an awesome example of what a Christian marriage looks like. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the case for many of my peers. The divorce rate in the U.S. reached an all-time high around 19, in the 1980s and into the early 90s, right here, reached an all-time high. And that was right when many people in my generation were being born or we were, we were in young childhood when a lot of these divorces were happening. So it's my personal opinion that a lot of people in my generation were apprehensive about marriage because a lot of us grew up with divorced parents. So we don't necessarily have a good godly picture of what marriage looks like, which has been really unfortunate. The good news is divorce is actually falling, and it's a lot lower today than it was back then. Uh, but that's, those are just some of the realities that we need to be aware of as a church. It's more important than ever for Christians to have a biblical understanding of Christian singleness, what it looks like to serve God as a single person. It's a topic rarely talked about, but it's more relevant, more important than ever for the church to understand what it looks like to serve God as a single person from a biblical perspective. A lot of times our attitudes about singleness are based more on culture, even Christian culture, than on the scriptures. And today what I endeavor to do is share from the scriptures what biblical singleness looks like. To start off with, I want to just point out singleness as a Christian Totally different than singleness in the world. <laughs> totally different. Okay, so it, in the secular world, from their perspective, singleness is great because you can have sex with whoever you want, but you don't have the commitment of a marriage. But as a Christian, it's totally different. Okay, so I just want to state that right off the bat. Um, as Christians, we believe that sex is designed for the marriage commitment. So as a Christian, the single life is synonymous with the celibate life. So that's totally different than in the world. Nevertheless, single Christians have a lot of struggles that maybe single people in the world don't have. Uh, not only struggles with sexual temptation, but struggles with loneliness, struggles with feeling like they can't be used by God if, they're, if they don't have a spouse. Struggles of feeling judged by other Christians because they don't have a spouse. Even doubts about that if God is able to use them. And to show you some of the statistics on this, in 2017, there was a survey of 7,000 Christian singles. And 76% reported they think about marriage a lot. 53% reported that they worry about finding a spouse. 42% feel defined by their lack of a spouse. 34% feel frustrated with God. 58% feel discouraged. And 50% report that they are tempted to idolize marriage. Of those who say they think about marriage often or constantly, they are three times more likely to say that they feel discouraged. They are five times more likely to say they feel defined by the lack of a spouse. They're almost two times more likely to say they feel unable to do what God wants them to do. They're over three times more likely to say they feel frustrated with God, over five times more likely to say they feel worried about finding a spouse, and over five times more likely to say they're tempted to idolize marriage. So the point is that singleness is a big deal. It affects a lot of believers. And if we don't have a healthy understanding of what biblical singleness, serving God as a single person looks like, it can have a very negative effect on the believer. Who, who should care about singleness? First of all, single people, obviously. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's an obvious one, okay? But I want to emphasize that this is a, this is a huge group of people. A lot of times when we think about singleness, we just think it's like young 20-somethings, 
Um, but actually, there are single people of all ages. This could include people who are not yet married. It could also include people who are called to a life of singleness. And there is a biblical precedent and a biblical basis for, for that calling. And we'll see that from the scriptures. It also includes divorced people, people who were married and now, because of unfortunate circumstances, they now find themselves single, which they were not expecting to. So that's a unique struggle of the divorced people. That, that, those could be people of any age, as well as widows. That's a huge one. The Bible has so much to say about widows and how the church should treat the widows. But it's important to recognize marriage is not forever, contrary to popular belief. If you are married, you might think, all right, I don't need to worry about singleness, I'm married. However, rarely do two spouses die at the same time. If you are married, it's very likely that at some point in your life, you will be single again at some point. So singleness is not only for young people, it's not something that only affects young people, it also affects elderly people, really people of any age. And it's very important, more important than ever for the church to have a biblical understanding of serving God as a single person so this is really a topic today for the whole church. Uh, so if you're married, don't think that you can just tune out, okay? <laughs> it's for the whole church. So what does biblical singleness look like? Well, as I already mentioned, singleness as a Christian is totally different than singleness in the world. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Now this word here, Sexual immorality is from the Greek word porneia, from which we get the word pornography. And it refers to any sexual actions outside of marriage, which would include extramarital sex as well as premarital sex. So from a Christian perspective, sex outside of marriage is a sin. So therefore, the single life is synonymous with the celibate life. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 19. We're going to see that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talked about singleness specifically. You might think it's not a topic talked about in the Bible, but we're going to see that there, both Jesus and Paul, both of whom were single, so they did not call people to you know, a life of celibacy that they did not themselves live out. Both of them were single, and both of them did address this issue. So we're going to start in Matthew 19, verse 3. And it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered them and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man and his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So the, the disciples found Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce difficult. When Jesus said, 
you know, Moses permitted you to divorce, but it really wasn't God's heart that there would be a divorce. He really wanted you to stay together. They found that difficult. They said, well, if that's the case, if, if we have to make that kind of commitment, it's better not even to marry. You know, Jesus did not disagree with them. He said, Jesus upheld the, ser- upheld the seriousness of the marriage commitment. To Jesus, the marriage commitment, it is a serious commitment. But Jesus provided an alternative, which is celibacy. According to Jesus, marriage, we see in verse 11, it's to whom it is given. But there's also others, we see in verse 12, who choose celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In his book, Redeeming Singleness, How the Storyline of Scripture Affirms the Single Life, Barry Danielak writes that, in using the term eunuch, Jesus meant more than someone simply not marrying, but rather one setting aside the right of marriage and procreation. Jesus is suggesting that there are some who will willingly give up the blessings of both marriage and offspring for the sake of the kingdom of God. The eunuch is an illustration that Jesus uses of this. It, so this is kind of providing some, some cultural context, because this is a little hard for us to understand in the 21st century. The eunuch in that culture was a model of devoted service because he was without distractions of marriage and family. No personal family matter competed for his allegiances. He could afford complete unhindered loyalty to his king and his king's concerns. The historical figure of the eunuch was a model of what undivided loyalty to the king looked like in the ancient world. Now, in his book, uh, Seven Myths About Singleness, Sam Albury writes that, in saying, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry, the disciples complain that the marriage commitment sounds too hard. Jesus doesn't contradict that. Marriage, as he presents it, is not easy. It is hard. It will not be the best path for everyone. That is why some choose to be like the eunuchs. Our starting point today is often the opposite. We think that celibacy sounds too hard, so we try to make marriage more accessible, even redefining marriage so more people can enter into it. But Jesus' thinking goes in the opposite direction. Marriage can be too hard for some, so he commands celibacy. Jesus was a sexual human being, as we all are, but he lived a celibate lifestyle. He never married. He never even entered a romantic relationship. He never had sex. Jesus was not calling others to a standard he was not willing to embrace himself. He wasn't calling singles to sexual abstinence while knowing nothing of it himself. He lived that very standard. But there's more to it than that. Jesus is the example of a perfect man. He is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things Not marriage, not romantic fulfillment, not sexual experience. None of these things is intrinsic to being a full human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we are implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman. So the the point is that the single life, biblically speaking, the single life is not inferior to the married life. And I think sometimes in Christian culture, you know, as Christians, we want to affirm the goodness of marriage, especially if we feel like, the secular culture is, is coming up against marriage. So as Christians, we want to affirm the goodness of marriage. But sometimes we can take that to such an extreme that we almost consciously or subconsciously, we look down on the single life as if it's inferior to marriage. If that were true, then Jesus was inferior because he was single. He was single. He, he never married, yet he lived the most full human life ever imaginable and never sinned. And he's, he is the example. He is the first fruits of the new creation, the new humanity. He found his fulfillment 100% in God. You know, he, didn't, he did not need to marry to find fulfillment. His life was by no means inferior to the life of a married person. So one of the biggest myths is that the single life is inferior to the married life. However, throughout scriptures, we see the examples of single 
men of God who serve God in their singleness. Another great example that we're going to look at in a minute is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, from what we know, never married. Yet, who else was used by God like the Apostle Paul was used? I mean, other than Jesus, it's hard to think of another man who was used as powerfully as the Apostle Paul. And yet he was single. There is something that we need to be aware of is that as Christians, we want to really affirm the, the goodness of the marriage commitment and that it's a God, God-ordained and God-designed thing, and we want to affirm his goodness. But we have to be careful not to turn it into an idol. Contrary to popular belief, marriage is not forever. That might be a shock to some people. But, but uh, in the Bible, in Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus said at the resurrection, so he's talking about the future resurrection when he comes back and when the kingdom is fully come, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels of heaven. So marriage is an incredible gift for this life, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And it is a lie to think that you need to be married in order to be used by God or to find fulfillment in life. You know, if you expect your spouse, and I think a lot of this thinking comes from culture. Our culture looks at marriage as a happily ever after, right? So we expect our spouse to just fulfill everything, right? <laughs> But that's, that's not a biblical view of marriage. If you expect your spouse to fulfill all of your hopes and dreams, you're placing a burden upon them that they cannot bear. And it is idolatry to expect something from a spouse that only God can provide. Marriage is an incredible gift. It's part of God's design for the continuation of the human species. It's, it's part of his design for the family. And it should be honored. But it's not the end-all, be-all. We, we, as Christians, we need to see through marriage to the actual greater truth that marriage represents, and that is the relationship between Christ and the church. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about. So the good news for single people is you don't have to wait until you're married to find fulfillment and to be used by God. You can be used by God now. You can find your fulfillment in Christ right now. So that's good news. Actually, fulfillment in life, contentment in life, satisfaction in life, it's ultimately, it's found only in Christ. Jesus said in John 6, 35, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So while we want to um, affirm the goodness of marriage, we have to be careful not to make marriage into an idol, where we start looking to our spouse for our fulfillment instead of looking first to God and to Jesus Christ. So go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look here. This is the main text on singleness in the Bible. And this is where the Apostle Paul, he specifically addressed singleness, specifically. You know, Paul himself, he was never married, yet he was used by God more powerfully than almost anyone. And his life is, is a great example of a single life, what it looks like to serve God as a single person. Beginning in verse 7, he says, I wish that all men were even as I myself am which is a single man. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in one manner, another in that. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now take a look at verse 25. He says, concerning virgins. So here he's specifically talking to the single person, because from a biblical perspective, the single life is a celibate life. So when he's, he's referring to the virgins, he's specifically saying to the single people, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress, it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. 
Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Now, what's interesting about this passage, Paul's attitude towards marriage is shocking for many, for many Christians today. Culturally, even, even within Christian culture, we think of marriage as a happily ever after, right? But Paul says here that if you marry, you will have trouble. <laughs> the important, I want to emphasize, in no way is Paul putting down marriage, okay? In other, in other of his letters, in other places in his letters, he affirms the, the beauty and the goodness of marriage, and he even uses it as an illustration of Christ in the church. So in no way is Paul anti-marriage. But Paul is realistic about marriage. Paul understands that there are struggles in the single life. There's also struggles in the married life. Marriage is not going to solve all your problems. And that's important for single people to understand. Paul is realistic about marriage. He understands that the biblical view of marriage is sober and serious. And it's a, it's a serious commitment that is hard for some people to accept. Singleness is defined as being not married. So anybody, when I'm talking about single people, I'm talking about anybody who's not married. If you think about it, you know, just thinking about the way that our culture views singleness, even the definition of singleness is, is kind of inherently negative. We, we define singleness as being not married. Yet rarely would someone define marriage as being not single. Yet that's equally true. That's equally true. But in our culture, we typically think of marriage as a good thing, singleness as a bad thing. But I want to show you from the scriptures today that the scriptures present a different view. The scriptures show that both marriage and singleness are good. And God is able to use both for, for his purposes. Paul actually views singleness as a gift. We see that in verse 7. Now, some have, uh, some have interpreted this word gift to mean a special anointing that God only puts on a couple people. <laughs> so these people are called to be single. But no, other people, they don't have that gift. So they're just not able to live the single life. But I want to I come up against that a little bit this morning. I, I would say that that kind of thinking can be dangerous. If we think that singleness is only for, for a unique few people and nobody else is, has the self-control to live that life, that's a dangerous type of thinking. Because then you could think, well, you know, I, I just don't have the gift of singleness. So, you know, if I end up having some premarital sex over here or if I just rush into marriage with someone who's not a believer, well, I'm just not called to be single, so nothing I can do about it. <laughs> that is a dangerous uh, mode of thinking. You know, if we adhere to this kind of thinking that singleness is only a gift for the unique few, single people who are, who are unhappy in their singleness, they may be tempted to engage in sexual activity or to marry someone who's not a believer or who's not a healthy marriage partner. They may be tempted to just rush into marriage because they think, well, I'm just not called to be single. So I've got to just, you know, even though this person's not an ideal partner or they're not a believer, I'm just going to rush into it because I'm not called to be single. That's a very dangerous type of thinking. So you can see how an incorrect view of singleness can be very damaging to a person, and it can actually cause a watering down of the marriage commitment. If we don't understand biblical singleness, it can actually cause a watering down of the marriage commitment. Feeling bad about being single, feeling lonely because you're single, that's not, that in and of itself is not a good enough reason to get married. A desire to have sex is not a good enough reason to get married. Marriage is a serious commitment that both partners must be sure and be confident that the Lord has called them to this covenant. The Book of Common Prayer says it like this, Marriage is not by any to be enterprised nor taken in hand, unadvisedly, lightly, or wantonly, to satisfy men's carnal lusts and appetites like brute beasts who have no understanding. 
but, <laughs> but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. Now, sometimes if we have a wrong view of singleness, if we, if we have a negative view of singleness, we feel like, man, I, God can't use me because I'm single and I'm just lonely and it's miserable. I might be tempted to wander this down rather than waiting for the spouse that God has really called me to, that, I, that when I do get married, it can be done reverently, discreetly, soberly, in the fear of God. So we have to have a correct view of singleness so that we can also have a correct view of marriage. The gift of singleness is not a gift for the select few. This might be a shock, but did you know all people are called to be single, at least for a season? All people, all people. <laughs> all people are called to be single, at least for a season. That is, that is the truth. And God expects us to serve him as single people while we are single um, and to be faithful in living out the celibate life until we are married. So if you're, if you're not married, if you're single, the reality is you are called to be single for this season. And until God calls you into marriage, you are called to be single. It's not just for the select few, it's for all believers, at least for a season. So you don't really have a choice in being single right now, but you do have a choice in how you receive your singleness. You can receive your singleness with feelings of inadequacy, bitterness, loneliness, jealousy, all unhealthy feelings that lead to sin. Or you can receive your singleness as a gift from God, and you can use it for God's glory. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Timothy Keller writes, Paul always uses the word gift to mean an ability God gives to build others up, not some kind of elusive stress-free state. The gift of being single for Paul lay in the freedom it gave him to concentrate on ministry in ways that a married man could not. Paul may have experienced what we today would call an emotional struggle with singleness. He might have wanted to be married. He not only found an ability to live a life of service to God and others in that situation, he discovered and capitalized on the unique features of the single life, such as time and flexibility, to minister with great effectiveness. You know, there are many Christian books, articles, and teachings about singleness. Many of them, maybe even most of them, focus on how to find a spouse. And while that, there's nothing wrong with that, and, it, and that may be very helpful for some people, sometimes too much focus on finding a spouse can send the wrong message. Uh, it can leave single people feeling like they're inadequate in their, in their singleness, like they can't serve God until they find a spouse. Paul writes to the single people here in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 25. And if he wrote like a lot of Christian writers today, you, you might expect him to say to the single people, I say to you, find a spouse as fast as possible. <laughs> but surprisingly, that's not, what he, that's not what Paul says. Actually, he, he, he almost says the opposite. He says, serve God in whatever state you're in. Are you married? Serve God as a married person. Are you single? Serve God as a single person. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with getting married. In verse 28, he says, it's not a sin if you do get married. But his advice to the single people is not to try to find a spouse as fast as possible. His advice is to focus on serving God in the state that they're in right now. So from Paul's perspective, the single life is not inferior to the married life. Paul, Paul views them equally. He, he views them as equals. The single person can serve God as a single person. The married person can serve God as a, mar as a married couple. They're both equal. They're both equally able to be used by God. 
but they have different struggles and different challenges. And Paul talks about that. If we'll take a look at verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So Paul is not saying that marriage is bad. Like I said, in many of his letters, he affirms the goodness of marriage. He uses it as an illustration of Christ and the church. When Paul says that the, the married person is concerned about the things of the world, that sounds negative. But the way that Paul is using that word world, he's talking about He's merely talking about the material concerns of his life. So a married man has to worry about providing for his family, the material concerns. So Paul is not saying that that's a bad thing. He's not saying that marriage is not spiritual and single life is spiritual. He's saying the married life is more complex than the single life. In the single life, you can focus on the things of the spirit. In the married life, you can also focus on the things of the spirit, but you also have to think about physical needs of your family. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's, that's God-ordained. That's God that's God's plan for the family. And that's a good thing. But he's just pointing out it's more complicated than a single life. Marriage has many blessings that singleness doesn't have. However, singleness also has its own blessings. And Paul talks about that here. That a single person, he's not as concerned about the worldly things or the material things. He's able to focus more single-mindedly on the things of the Spirit and on serving the Lord. When Paul wrote these words, he probably thought about his own life as a single person, how he was able to travel. He was able to go on these missionary journeys, these places all over the Mediterranean. Paul was able to go and to preach the word, preach the gospel in all these different places. And it would have been a lot harder for him to do that if he were married. So Paul, when he wrote these words, when he wrote this advice to the single person, he said, you know, the single life is more free from concern. It's more free from the concerns of this world, from the material things. You can really be freed up to serve the Lord. You know, I think he wrote that as an encouragement to the single believers, thinking about his own life and the opportunities that it gave him to go to different places, even enduring shipwrecks, enduring imprisonment. It was because he was single that he had the freedom to do these things. So Paul is trying to shift our perspective here. He's, he's saying rather than looking at singleness as something bad and marriage as something good, he's saying look at them both as something good. They're both gifts. They're both gifts by God. They, they both have their own blessings. Single people have great freedom. But what we need to think about for those of us who are single, the question is, how are we using that freedom? <laughs> One of the biggest opportunities of the single person, and Paul said this in, in the previous verse, the last verse that we read there, verse 35, you know, he said to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. That is an incredible opportunity of the single person, that the single person can serve the Lord with undistracted devotion. The question is, are we doing that? <laughs> are we serving the Lord with, with, with undistracted devotion? So one of the biggest blessings of singlehood is your ability to do that. But one of the biggest struggles is actually doing that, right? <laughs> so... 
you know, the question, the single person has great freedom. The question is, how are we using that freedom? Are we using it to serve the Lord? Or are we using it for our own selfish desires? Now, I want to emphasize that this message today is not, it's not merely for the single people. It's for, all, it's for all believers. It's for the whole church. Married people also have a responsibility to the single people. You know, all of us as believers, whether we're single or we're married, we are all called for, we're all called to community and we're all created, created for community. Romans 12.5 says, In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The Apostle Paul, he used uh, familial terms to describe the Christian church. He used terms like brother in his letters when he was writing to the believers. He used terms like brother, sister, mother, and father. And also he referred to some believers as his children. For example, in Titus 1.4 and in 1 Timothy 1.2, you don't have to turn there unless you wish, but the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, he called Timothy my true child. He called Timothy my true child. Paul was never married. Paul had no biological children. But in the faith, he had many children. And he, he called Timothy my true child. The reality is, as a church, we are called to be a family. We're called to be a family, to be like brothers and sisters, to be like fathers and mothers. Well, all believers are called to community, and we're all called to the church family. I would argue that it's especially important for the single believer. I was blessed to grow up with parents who gave me an awesome example of what a godly marriage looks like. Many young believers, many single believers, did not have that blessing. A lot, a lot of people, especially those new to the faith, they may have never seen an example of a godly marriage. So I want to speak to the married people here, and I want to encourage you that you could be that example. You could be that example in the life of a single person to show them what a godly marriage looks like. How is a single person ever going to be ready to get married if they've never seen an example of godly marriage? So this is for all believers that, as a church, we're called to, we're called to community, we're called to a family. And it's just as much for the married people to be that example to the single people. And it's also important for the single people to, to get connected to the community. So to the married people, my, my encouragement to you is be intentional about reaching out to the single people. We have a lot of single people in this church. Be intentional about reaching out to them. Include them in the community. Show them an example of godly marriage. Mentor them, you know, in the faith. You know, you could invite a single person over for dinner with your family. That's just one example. There's many ways to do this. But be intentional about building those friendships and those relationships with the single people in the church. We don't want a, a situation where all the married people with kids hang out with themselves, all the single people hang out with themselves. There's no interaction. Because how, how then are we really going to be a, a church family, be a community, and how are the single people going to see an example of marriage? And also, the single people can be a blessing to the married people just as much as well. So I encourage all the married people, you know, reach out to the single people in the church. Now, to the single people, my encouragement and my challenge to you is to maximize your singleness. Maximize your singleness. Get connected to church family. Get connected to Christian community. This is important for all believers, but it's especially important for the single people. As, as single people, we don't have the intimacy or the companionship of a spouse. However, 
I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There is a way that a single person can experience companionship, friendship, even intimacy without falling into sin. It's called Christian community. The Christian community is so important for the single person to, to get connected to, to be included in. Because that's how a single person can really focus on serving God and not become distracted by sexual sin, unhealthy relationships, feeling miserable, feeling lonely. The solution to this, biblically, is the Christian community, is the church family. So I really believe I'm seeing great things happening in our church. I really believe we're in a season right now where God is strengthening and growing our community. So let's remain intentional about continuing that momentum. And it requires intentionality. I mean, naturally, it's just human nature. You want to hang out with people who are similar to you. You want to hang out with the same little group of friends all day, every day. And that's just human nature. But it requires intentionality to reach out to someone who may be different and to include them in the community and to build those relationships. Because it's critically important for, for all believers, but especially for the single believer. The Christian community is the solution, is the gift from God that helps the, 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 the single believer to stay on track, helps them to experience friendship and, and companionship, not be lonely, not feel you know, miserable and depressed. The solution is the Christian community. When they get surrounded by great you know, brothers and sisters in the faith, they're building them up, helping them stay on track, giving them great examples. You know, that's so important. So this message is not, it's, it's for the single people, but it's also for the married people. Think about how you can be part of that. Think about how you can help to strengthen that community within our church. To the single people, my message to you, maximize your singleness. It may not feel like it, but the time that you have as a single person is precious time. If God calls you to marriage, you're not going to have this time that you have right now as a single person. Will you have used it for God's glory, or will you have wasted it on selfish desires? Don't, don't waste the time that you have been given. You know, the Bible talks about redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know, make use of this time that you have now as a single person to serve the Lord. When you're married, you can serve the Lord in a different way. But right now, you have unique opportunities to serve the Lord that you may not have later. So serve the Lord as a single person. Don't wait for your spouse to start serving the Lord. Serve the Lord now. You can serve the Lord as a single person. How do you serve the Lord as a single person? If you're not sure where to start, start with the two greatest commandments. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you start doing these two commandments, you're serving the Lord right there. There's so many ways that you can do this. One thing that the Lord has called me to personally, just to tell you a little personal story, the Lord has called me to start working with refugees here in the local Albany area. I'm working with an organization called the United States Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. And we're working with people who are some of the neediest people in the world. They fled their homes because of war or because of persecution. They come from many different countries, many different faiths. Many, many of them are actually Christians. We, there's refugees coming over from the Congo and from Southeast Asia, and many, many of them are actually brothers and sisters in the faith. They had to flee from their homes because of persecution, because of war. And we work with people that came through the legal immigration system. They've been given legal status to start a new life in the U.S., but they have a lot of challenges. A lot of them don't speak English very well. They, they've got to learn a new culture, new way of life, new transportation system, new healthcare system. So there's many volunteers that are working with these refugees right here in Albany, teaching them English, 
helping them to find jobs so they can get self-sufficient as soon as possible, helping them to find housing. What I do personally, I'm a patient navigator. So I provide transportation, I, I bring people to doctor's appointments, and I help them to navigate the healthcare system. You know, the healthcare system is hard enough for us to navigate as Americans. <laughs> now imagine if you're brand new to the country and you don't, you don't speak English. You really need help. So these are just some ways that you can, that for me personally, the Lord has called me to get involved in this work to show the love of Christ to, to people who are right here in our community, but they're in great need. And you know, the, I've seen the Lord use me to show love to, to some of these people, people who, like Jesus said in Matthew 25, they're truly the least of these. And he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. That's what Jesus said. But you don't have to do exactly what I'm doing. There's so many ways that you can serve God as a single person. You can get involved right here in the church. You can volunteer in the back in the video team. You can volunteer as an usher or a greeter. There's so many different ways to get involved right here in the church. So I would encourage the single people, you know, think about the time that you have. Think about the gifts that God has given you. Put them to use. Maximize your singleness. Don't waste this time just pursuing your own desires. Use it to serve the Lord. You know, there's many other ways that you can serve, that you can love God and you can love other people right here in our local, local community. You can you can serve the homeless down at Schenectady City Mission, an incredible organization. You can serve at a soup kitchen. You can build houses with Habitat for Humanity. You can go on mission trips around the world or around the country. You can preach the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. I mean, these are all things that you can literally do. A lot of times we think, especially even young people, we think, I can't do these things. You can do these things. You can do these things. And if not now, then when? You, this is the time. This is the time to do these things, to go on the missions trips you know, to preach the gospel, to serve the needy and the poor. This is the time to do it. If you're not going to do it now, when are you going to do it? <laughs> so let that be an encouragement to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. For those who are younger and, and not yet married, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, you're, you're thinking, look, I just graduated college. I'm working an entry-level job, making no money. I'm working 40-plus hours a week. I'm making almost no money. Plus, I've got huge student loans that I need to pay off. And now you're talking to me about volunteering? Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't, <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that, right? I, 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 know, I know that's what you're thinking. But I want to challenge you a little bit this morning. You may not think you have time for that, but the reality is you do have time for that. If you don't think you have time now, wait till you're married. <laughs> and if you don't think you have time when you're married, wait till you have kids. <laughs> Then you will know the meaning of not having time. So I think sometimes as young people, we think, well, we're so busy. I'm so busy all the time doing all these things. I don't have time to, I don't have, you know, God might put something on my heart, you know, to, to serve the homeless, you know, to go on a mission trip. God might put something on my heart, but I'm thinking, I don't have time for that. But let's reevaluate our lives, because I think as young people, I think as single people, I think single people are especially tempted with wasting their time on the, desire, the, the, the desires of this world. I think single people especially struggle with that. You know, we don't have the fulfillment and the companionship of a spouse. So we look to the things of this world to provide that. And we end up wasting all of our time pursuing those things of this world. And there's nothing wrong with watching TV a little bit here and there, you know, in moderation, whatever. But I'm saying we end up wasting so much time pursuing entertainment, things of this world, trying to gratify the, the the hole that we have on the inside when what we're called to do is to surround ourselves with Christian community, to find that contentment and that fulfillment in Christ, and to 
be surrounded and be included in the Christian community, and then to use our time to maximize the time, to redeem the time for the days are evil. Use it for God's glory. And I think that if we were to evaluate our lives a little bit, take a serious look at it, we would find we, are, we, are, we have a lot more time than we think. You know, just one example, think outside the box. I would encourage everyone, you know, especially the single people, especially the, the, the people not yet married, think outside the box. You know, next time uh, that a big hurricane or a big natural disaster hits, you know, Louisiana or wherever down in the south, you could literally take one week, you could drive down there, you could rebuild people's houses, and you could drive back. I mean, you could literally do that. And there are organizations that want to help you to do that. One that I recommend, Samaritan's Purse. My dad has worked with them. They do incredible work to respond to natural disasters. And the coolest thing about Samaritan's Purse, they do it in Jesus' name. So everything that they do when they're building houses, when they're you know, helping people rebuild their lives, they're doing it in Jesus' name, and they're very outspoken about that. And they are in desperate need of volunteers. And as single people, you, uh, we have more time than we may have in the future to be able to do some of these things. So my encouragement to the single people is evaluate your life, evaluate the time that you've been given. And don't wait for your spouse before you start serving the Lord. You can serve the Lord now. Evaluate the time. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal to you what he's called you to. Think outside the box. Sometimes I think our, our thinking is so limited. We think God can't use this except in a couple little, little limited ways. God is, God is infinite. He might be calling you to something that you haven't even considered. Pray about it. Ask him to reveal it to you. He will start putting godly desires in your heart. In his book, Not Yet Married, Marshall Seagal says, marriage murders spontaneity. <laughs> not entirely. Not entirely. I know it sounds a little harsh, but just hear him out. Hear, hear him out here for a second. Murder, marriage murders spontaneity. Not entirely, but massively. One of, the great, one of your greatest spiritual gifts as a single person is your yes. Yes to a random phone conversation. Yes to coffee. Yes to help with the move. I mean, I know that for a lot of the single people in this church, we've helped a lot of people move, right? And oftentimes, we're the only ones helping people move because we have the time, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one other way you can help as a single person. Yes to, to help with the move. Yes to stepping in when someone is sick. You have unbelievable freedom to say yes when married people can't even ask the question. When your spouse doesn't exist yet, you cannot hurt him or her with the selfless impulsive decisions to serve others. If you get married, you will not always have the same freedom. Be willing to say yes and be a blessing to others. So in conclusion, the single life is not inferior to the married life. They're both equally valuable. They both have uh, equal blessings and equal struggles, different blessings and different struggles, but equal in value. And God is able to use the single man or woman of God just as much as the married couple but they're different. They're, they're different seasons. They're different callings. And the way that God uses them may be different. You know, there are some evangelists that to this day are called, some of them called to a lifetime of singleness. And they're able to use that to, you know, for great purposes, to, to be able to travel all over the world preaching the gospel. There's other pastors who would never be able to do what they're doing if they were not married. You know, with, with the, their, their spouse is just that rock that enables them to pastor the church. So, you know, both are equally valuable, but they can both give you great freedom. They can both give you great blessings, great opportunities, but just different opportunities, different blessings, different struggles. 
And as a Christian community, we're all called to come together and encourage each other in whatever season of life that we're in. My encouragement to the single people, you know, don't wait, don't wait to start serving God. Serve God now. The temptation is to think, you know, once I get married, then, then I can serve God. Then I'll find fulfillment. You know, we always look to something else for fulfillment other than God. You know, Blaise Pascal said, every person has a God-shaped hole in themselves that only God can, can fill. And um, Augustine said, you know, we're restless till we find our rest in him. But the temptation is always to look to something else. So we, as single people, the temptation is we look to marriage for fulfillment. We think, well, once I have, once I have a spouse, then I'll feel fulfilled. But sp- our spouses are human, and they're, they're, they're not going to fulfill us 100%. And so then we think, all right, once I have kids, then I'll feel fulfilled. <laughs> Then you have kids, and then you think, okay, once my kids are grown up, I don't know if to deal with them, then I'll feel fulfilled. <laughs> and we just keep kicking the can down the road. I think that's a temptation in life, in whatever season we're in. We just keep kicking the can down the road. We look to something in the future for our fulfillment, but fulfillment is available right now in Jesus Christ alone. Well, that brings this episode to a conclusion. What'd you think? Come on over to restitutio.org, episode 409. Serving God as a single person with Matthew Elton. I'll leave your questions and feedback there. I remember sitting in the audience listening to this, thinking to myself, wow, there's just so much here that I just had never thought of and is so important for Christians today to understand, whether single or married, how to interact with each other. And if you're one of the married folks like I am, then uh, we need to be more diligent in inviting single people into our homes and into our activities and into our families. And uh, if you're a single person, you know, why not get active in volunteer opportunities that you might not be able to have time for when you are married, certainly when you have kids. So uh, some really great points there. I'm so appreciative of his work on this message here. Also, just to let you know, we had some feedback come in on a YouTube video I did a while back called Conditional Salvation, and uh, this is by someone named Original Dan Mann, who writes, Thank you for this video. There aren't many like them on the internet. I'm surprised it hasn't been removed yet. He goes on to say, As for the great deception of One Saved, Always Saved and its sister Tulip, this is not a new deception. This is the first lie ever told on earth. It has been perpetrated since the Garden of Eden when Satan told Eve, you shall not surely die. He goes on from there. You'd also be hard-pressed to find any national speaker admit to believing in conditional security, for they will quickly be canceled. There are a couple that come close to the edge of teaching the truth, but try and play both sides as to not lose their audience. Yeah, I've seen this too, Dan, that uh, there is an incredible lack of Christians standing up for the biblical teaching that salvation is something that requires perseverance, that it's not just one and done. I mean, hopefully, once you're saved, you always are saved after that, but that's not necessarily the case if you renounce your faith, if you turn away from God, if you decide that you don't want Christ as your Savior anymore— Is God going to force you to stay saved? Uh, So these are some important questions to think about. But take a look at that YouTube video if you're curious. Uh, You just type in my name or Conditional Salvation or search the Restitutio YouTube channel and you'll be able to find it there. And uh, we'd love to to engage more on this topic. This is an important topic we've addressed in the past, uh, but we haven't for a little while now. So we'd love to hear your comments on that. 
Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do that at restitutio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.